This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This morning in our sermon series, When He Spoke, we're talking about the third time Jesus spoke from the cross. And I want to read for you this morning in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 26. Perhaps today you will learn something about the cross that maybe you have not thought about previous until this day. And uh, if that were to be the case, I'm blessed. Because I want you to leave the house of God feeling like you've been in the house of God. I want you to come to church wanting to hear from heaven And I want you to come to church hearing from heaven. I don't want you to go home hungry. I want you to come filled, satisfied on the good things of the Lord. And I pray that that would happen today. So John chapter 19, and I want you to look with me beginning in verse number 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. This is the third time Jesus spoke from the cross. And I know that when you read these words, perhaps it gives you a sense of perplexity. Mary, the mother of Jesus, why would he say woman instead of mother? We're going to talk a little bit about that today, and I hope that you leave here this morning a little closer to the cross and more filled with the Spirit and edified in the word. This morning I'm speaking on this subject, the words of affection. And I hope that you follow along with us in your bulletin this morning. Grief is not a stranger to any of us. All of us have been affected by grief in some way or another. Everywhere you turn on this planet today, you can find somebody grieving. Maybe there's somebody grieving in your home. Maybe somebody that you know you work with, perhaps they're grieving for some reason. If you're close neighbors in proximity of where you live and you are in touch with what's going on in your neighborhood, maybe you know somebody living close by that's grieving today. Maybe you've got a dear friend, somebody that you talk to long distance and you know that they're going through the hardships of life and they find themselves grieving today. Oftentimes, and listen carefully, oftentimes there are no immediate words that you can help someone who's dealing with inner pain. And I'm talking about pain that reaches deep down into their soul. Now, let me give you some advice today. The last thing that you want to do with somebody that's grieving is to say, I know how you feel when you really don't. I'm talking about somebody that's grieving so down deep in their heart and in their soul. Sometimes, yes, you pray for them often and that's a given, but sometimes people are grieving in such a way that 
the only thing you can do is just be there for them. Where the problem, the situation is so overwhelming, you, you don't know what to do and really there are no alternatives except just be there. Let them know that you're there. And perhaps this morning there's some people here in our congregation or you're watching by internet today that's going through this kind of grieving. Maybe somebody's dealing with terminal sickness that has overcome a friend or family member. Perhaps someone today, especially in our internet world, somebody's dealing with the death of a close loved one. Maybe perhaps today there's a heart grieving over a wayward son or a wayward daughter. Some of us, unfortunately, have experienced the pain of that. Maybe perhaps there's somebody today that's grieving with some type of past issue in life that has yet to be resolved. Or maybe somebody's dealing with a recent divorce and you're grieving yourself to sleep at night. Maybe somebody's dealing with financial difficulties and, and you're experiencing the grief of that. Perhaps somebody today is grieving over a bad decision. I'm glad that we have a ministry in our church called Grief Share. And we reach out to people in our community who are going through the process of grieving Sometimes grief can cause an individual to be so much in pain and turmoil that they can nearly grieve themselves to death. I know of somebody that had that happened years ago whose wife had passed and four days later they sat down in their recliner and grieved themselves to death in the matter of four days. When our hearts are broken, sometimes when we get to that place in life, when we're so overwhelmed and we're so broken and we get so stressed and then that stress leads us and moves us to grieving, sometimes in this grieving process, we can even question God. We question everything that goes on around us and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the perplexities and the weight and the burden sometimes can push us and move us to where we question God. Have you ever questioned God? Listen, I would be a hypocrite if I told you that there has never been a time in my life where I have not questioned him. Now, I'm not saying that it's right, but I think we have all been in places and we have all been in spots. We have all been in troubles or trials. We have been all in a place where we have been so overwhelmed that we have at least asked God God, why is this happening? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? And maybe from that perspective, we step back and say, God, after all I do for you, I cannot believe that you are allowing this type of trouble and grief and sorrow to come into my life. I mean, God, think about it. I read my Bible every day. I talk to you. I pray every day. I give my tithes and offerings. I try to find a place to serve in the church. I try to be there every time the door is open. And God, of all people, I don't know why you would allow this kind of thing to overwhelm me. I've been faithful to you. But let me remind you of something today. No matter how faithful you are to God, grief is a part of the human experience. It is a part of life. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was no exception to this grieving process. In fact, when you study the life of Mary, what little we do know about her, her life was filled with grief. Think about how difficult it was to tell Joseph that an angel had come to her 
and she was going to have a baby. Think about how difficult it was to explain what an immaculate conception was all about. And think about the burden that she was under when she gave Joseph that news. Think about the grief that she was under when she had to take it past Joseph and she began to contemplate how in the world am I going to tell my mother and father about this? Even more so, it was one thing to tell Joseph. It was another thing to tell her mother and father. But think about all the scrutiny she was going to be in when the community found out. But her grief did not stop with Joseph and her parents and the community. As life went on a little farther, think about it. When it was time for the little Christ child to be born, think about the grief she experienced when there was no room in the inn. Suppose you went to Johnston Willis Hospital without strength in your body to lift your head and they were standing at the door with a sign saying, full, you cannot come in. Or you had to go to Johnston Willis for some reason and somebody met you even in the parking deck and they said, you can't come in, You're, we're all full. I, th- I think about the grief that many people have had in these last 12 months that we have been experiencing all of this COVID stuff. I'm thinking about how many people had to go to assisted living facilities and stand outside and tap on the window and see their loved one from the yard. And then to receive the news by telephone, your mother passed away last night. Think about how overwhelming it is to people and People have done that and experienced that by the hundreds upon hundreds. Think about the grief now. Mary, she's experienced with no room at the inn. Think about the grief she experienced when King Herod was killing all of the baby boys two-year-old and under. Think about the grief that she experienced when she saw her son come of age, when he would begin his public ministry at the age of 30 years old, only to be despised and rejected among his own people. And now, think about this for a moment. Think about the grief she experiences, the grief that she suffers as she watches the horrible events of Calvary unfold firsthand before her eyes. It was prophesied, by the way, that Jesus would be a man of sorrows. But I think we can correctly say that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was truly the woman of sorrows. Think about this just for a moment. I believe that the woman who had the greatest privilege on the planet had the greatest grief. Look at verse 25 again in John chapter 19. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, excuse me, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. Here's something that I want you to contemplate with me this morning. After the infancy and childhood of Jesus, we hear so little about Mary. There's very little in the scripture that we know about her after the infancy and childhood. I mean, her life after those events, her life sort of like just blends into the background 
of society. She spends most of her time living in the shadows of her precious son and, by the way, her other children. Let me set something straight this morning in the way of doctrine. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was not a perpetual virgin. And some people worship her as though she was. Now, there was an immaculate conception. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit placed inside of the womb of Mary. She was a virgin. The Virgin Mary did give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it indeed was an immaculate conception. But I will tell you, Mary, after that supernatural divine event took place for the first time and the only time on the planet, she would go on to bear other children. And you say, well, pastor, I'm not really familiar with that. I, I, I know that there are certain denominations that worship Mary that consider her to be a perpetual version. That's not the case. You say, well, do you have a scripture for that? I told you last week, everything I preach, I have a scripture for. In Mark chapter 6, verse number 3, the word says they'll get it on the screen for you. Is not this the carpenter's son of Mary, the brother of Joseph and Judah or Jude and Simon? Look at this. Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So I want you to know that Jesus did have other earthly, three of them, other brothers, and he had sisters. You read it in the word as I do. But we can only imagine perhaps what went on in her life. Keep in mind this, that the other children that Mary had, the brothers, James in particular, did not believe that Jesus was the only begotten son of God, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Can you imagine what it was like for Joseph and Mary to call all of the family together for the meal? Whether it be in the morning, noon, at night, they'd call the family together for the meal. And how many times as Mary would serve the meal on the table and discussions would take place, perhaps Joseph would say, as he would push his chair back, now let me tell you boys about this all over again. And I can see them now flopping their hands in their head and they're maybe closing their ears. And maybe Mary saying, don't you disrespect your daddy. Listen to this. This really happened. This is true. An angel came to me. An angel came to your father. But here's the thing. An angel didn't come to James. James probably heard the story from Joseph and Mary countless of times. At the time, he was sick of it. James did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. Mary believed it on the first message of the angel. Joseph believed it when the angel spoke. But an angel didn't come to those other children. They had to endure life and growing up from the story that Joseph and Mary were telling. And the truth of the matter, and this is significant because you'll see how this ties in in just a moment. These others did not believe. James in particular, and we can single him out, he did not believe that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. So we can imagine what life was like for the Lord Jesus, we know a little bit about what happened at his birth, and then we know a little bit about what happened when he was two years old, when the wise men came. We know a little bit about from when he was two years old to the time he was 12, nothing from the age of two to 12. 
So nothing from his birth to the age of two, and then nothing from the age of two to the age of 12, and then nothing from the age of 12 to the age of 30 when he began his public ministry. We can only imagine what life must have been like for him, and we can only imagine what life must have been like for Mary and the mother's grief that she had experienced in all of these happenings. Now, all of a sudden, at 33 and a half years of age, Jesus now, the only begotten Son of God, the spotless, precious Lamb of God, he's now hanging on an old rugged cross between two condemned thieves. And now, all of a sudden, Mary is once again thrust into the center stage in this darkest hour of her son's life. All of a sudden, she resurfaces to the top of the scriptures. She appears a little bit in the first part of John at the wedding of Cana, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But there's no doubt in my mind that Mary was the closest person to the cross on the day of crucifixion. I want you to think about the things that must have been going through her mind as she is standing there on the ground looking up at her firstborn son being crucified and condemned between two common criminals. There's no doubt in my mind as Mary stood there that her memories took her back to the Lord's birth when she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. There's no doubt in my mind that while she stood looking at Jesus, her firstborn, her mind went back to the temple where she had lost Jesus in the crowd. When they got into the caravan, they did not know where he was. She comes back to Jerusalem and she finds him in the temple teaching the doctors and the lawyers and the scribes, asking him what in the world was he doing? And he said to her, don't you know that I'm busy? I must be busy about my father's business Maybe that whole temple episode at the age of 12 captivated her attention for a moment. And then maybe she remembered as Jesus majestically walked down to the River Jordan, John the Baptist was there baptizing. He called out to Jesus. He said to the crowd, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And as Jesus majestically walked down to the river, maybe Mary remembers the day that John the Baptist immersed him in the water. No doubt she remembered just three and a half years earlier the wedding at Cana when she was witness, when she was there as Jesus performed his very first miracle, turning the water into wine. And now all of a sudden she's traveling down the Via Della Rosa. Perhaps even someone is abusing her along the way. We cannot forget that before Jesus went to the cross, he was brutalized. The Bible tells us that they plucked his beard, they spit in his face. They whipped the flesh off of his back. They placed the crown of thorns upon his brow. And then they put a cross upon his filleted open back and made him, force him walk down the Via Della Rosa. Now, there's no doubt in my mind when Jesus was carrying that cross that there were some people there that were still spitting on him. Maybe they were kicking dust up into his feet. Maybe they were shouting profanities and, and cursings at him. But I also can imagine as Mary Mary is following this horrific episode, perhaps because she is known as the mother of Jesus. Perhaps there are some people there that's ridiculing her as well. Maybe there's some people there in the crowd that's kicking dust up in her face. Maybe there's somebody there that's throwing a stone or two in her direction. Maybe there are people there that's cursing her. There's no doubt in my mind that as Mary is walking with her son up Calvary's mountain, no doubt she was paralyzed 
by the feeling of helplessness at what was taking place. We can only imagine what she went through. Not only did she know that Jesus was the promised one, that Jesus was the Messiah, she was convinced of that by the angel. Not only was Jesus the only begotten son of God, the one that the prophet spoke about for hundreds and hundreds of years, but we cannot forget the fact that he was her firstborn son. And I want you to think with me. It was she who had placed the first kiss upon the little brow that had now been crowned with thorns as she's reminiscing all of the things since his birth, it was Mary who first guided his little hands and his little feet that were now at the age of 33 and a half years old, now nailed to the cross. It was Mary that gave him his first bath that dried him and put clean clothes upon his body. And now at 33 and a half years old, he is out of her reach and she cannot wipe the blood from his eyes nor the sweat from his brow. And on top of all of that, she does not even have the comfort of his closest friends, which were her closest friends, being next to her. You remember what I said just a moment ago? Sometimes we may not have the right words to say to somebody that's grieving beyond comprehension, and sometimes all we can do is just be there. In this darkest hour when Jesus was hanging on the cross, in all of her grief and all of her sorrow, she experienced that virtually with none of his friends there. In fact, look with me in verse 25 again. The word says this, that at the foot of the cross, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. I believe it's interesting here that Mary is so numb that this is what I find interesting when I study this story. That in all of the Gospels, there is not one mention of one word that Mary, the mother of Jesus, said during the crucifixion. Not one word. Now, we find the words of the Roman centurions. Truly, this man is the son of God. We find the words of the angry mob. If you are the son of God, come down and save yourself. We find the word of the angry thief. We find the words of the repentant thief. There are people doing all sorts of things at the cross. Mary is there, and there are words recorded in all of the gospels from other people, but not one word is recorded in the gospels of anything Mary said at the cross. Try to imagine the pandemonium. I'm talking about the crowds are going wild. They are mocking him. They're blaspheming him. The priests are jeering him and wanting him to prove his divinity on the cross. The soldiers were laughing and they were gambling. The Jews were shouting, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And the word says that his mother just simply stood by helpless and speechless, not saying a single word. I find that interesting. Verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple by whom he loved, look at this. He saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Now here Jesus speaks from the cross the third time. The first time he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
The second time he spoke to the thief and he said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And now the third time he speaks directly to his mother. But this is interesting. Never one time did Jesus ever call her mother. By the way, this is not the first time he called her woman either. In fact, I want you to see this in John chapter 2. I want you to turn your Bible there. I'm going to read that passage for you in just a minute. But why? Why did Jesus say, woman, behold thy son? Why didn't he say, mama, don't worry, don't cry? Why didn't he say, mama, it's going to be okay? Why in all of the shame and all of the suffering did he look at his mother and call her woman? This is significant. This sort of like goes hand in hand to what I just said a moment ago, that Mary was not a perpetual virgin as some denominations teach. This is significant. It's significant why he said to her, woman, behold thy son. I want you to think about this. There's a practical element and there's a spiritual application to this as well. Spiritually speaking, I think perhaps one of the reasons that Jesus called her woman is because he did not want anybody worshiping his mother. Secondly, he was declaring his deity because you see, he wanted to make it clear. Mary did not create Jesus. Jesus created Mary. You have to think through that, but it's true. Jesus did not want his mother to be referenced or to be called the queen of heaven. There's a practical element to this as well. Back in Jesus' day, referring to his mother as woman, it was like saying ma'am. You know, yes ma'am, no ma'am, ma'am. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Look at John 2, 1 through 4. This is, a, this is another time in the scriptures where Jesus referred to his mother as woman. And this was the first miracle Jesus performed at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman... He didn't say, Mom, get out of the way. Mom, go mind your own business. Mom, you're turning into a drama queen. He didn't say any of that. He said, woman, what have I to do with thee? Now, that's another message in another day all in itself. But he says, my hour is not yet come. So think about the lessons we learned the third time that Jesus spoke from the cross. And keep in mind, Mary was not at the foot of the cross Because she was simply his mother, Mary was at the foot of the cross because in addition to being his mother, she was also a follower. Let me give you four simple truths real quickly here because Mary was setting an example. She was saying this, and she taught this at the wedding, and she was teaching this at the cross. She was teaching this to multitudes of people then, And she teaches the same lesson to you and I today. Listen carefully. What Mary was teaching at the foot of the cross is this. Just like she said to those that were at the wedding, whatever he says, do it. She's teaching this lesson to us right now. Wherever he leads, you go. 
She taught with great example that she was going to be there no matter what. Let me share with you quick, quickly four points and we'll move on with the service today. Number one, I want you to see, and these are four spiritual truths we get from the crucifixion where Jesus spoke to his mother. We see Jesus setting the example for children to honor their parents. And this is a subject that really needs to be addressed today. When I grew up in the day and era and times, in the culture I grew up in, I grew up to where when my mother addressed me, I would say, yes, ma'am. I would say, no, ma'am. When my father addressed, in the culture that I grew up in, I grew up in a day when my dad spoke. He didn't have to speak but one time. I'm telling you that when I, in the culture that I grew up in, I grew up when it was proper to open the door for your mother I saw my dad do that for my mother. When I grew up in the culture that I grew up in, a parent was given a very high priority of respect. In the culture that I grew up in, I did not grow up in the day where when you were called to the dinner table, you say, I'll be there in a minute. Where, where she called me three times. You know what my mother, I'll tell you how she broke me of that. My, my mother, uh, she, she likes to yodel. And early on, I learned that when it was time for dinner and we didn't come running, my mother would stand on the back porch and she would yodel my name. Now, what was, what was so embarrassing about that? Well, not only the fact that everybody in the neighborhood heard this ridiculous thing going on, but all my buddies, you know, that, that didn't go away for a long time. And I knew that if I wanted that to stop, because beyond the yodel, there was a switch. Now, that was the culture I grew up in, and, and I didn't want her yodeling, and I didn't want her switch, because a lot of times when she had to switch, when she get, got finished switching, she would say, now, now you wait till your daddy gets home. <laughs> that was the culture I grew up in. I grew up in the culture when you said, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir. I, I grew up in a culture when you were prompt and you were, you were doing what you were told. Now, today, people want to cancel culture. I'm not for canceling culture. I'm not for canceling respect. I'm not canceling the fact that, listen, God wants our godly men to teach our young boys how to be godly men and our godly women to teach young women how to be godly women. I'm telling you, we're talking about things today in our society that is abusive, I believe, to the Bible, that's, that's, a, that's a slander, that's, that's an argument against God. I heard somebody last night say this, when a great congressman stood forth to speak and he gave a clear presentation of God's will and God's word, I heard Jerry Nader stand up and he said this, God's will is no concern for this Congress. I want to remind him that the United States of America was built and founded upon the word and the will of God. Can somebody 
say amen. We are arguing today whether or not a child has a right to live or whether or not, listen, I guarantee you this, this ain't going to happen unless they carry me out of here in a body bag. We're not going to have grown men going in the ladies' restroom with a wig and lipstick on. We're just not going to do it. Just not going to do it. The culture I grew up on and the culture that I grew up with had a pretty good effect on me. What we need to do, we don't need to cancel the word of God. We need to get back to the word of God. Jesus was setting an example for children to honor parents. And listen to this. A few thousand years before this event was taking place, God himself inscribed with his own finger on two tablets of stone these words in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. He said, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land. And then the apostle Paul reiterated this in Ephesians chapter six, verses one through two. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long upon the earth. And verse four says, and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. So Jesus was teaching the essence of respect when he gave a focused moment to his mother. The word says, give honor where honor is due. The second thing here I want you to see quickly is that we see John, the disciple, he did return back to the cross. Now I want you to look at this one might question his departure, but on the night before the crucifixion, Jesus was going through unimaginable sorrows. You remember the story how Jesus went to the door of Gethsemane and he said to the disciples, I want you to pray. He took Peter, James, and John a little farther. He said, I want you to come in and pray with me a little bit farther in the garden. And so Jesus, while he was praying with great agony, with great grief, you remember what he said. He said to the father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. The word says that as he prayed, the prayer was so intense that he began to perspire great drops of blood. One of the dark sorrows accompanied with that, listen carefully, when he said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, he was not only in reference to, is there another way? God said, there is no other way. If a man's going to have a relationship with me, if a man is going to come to me, he has got to come through you, son. He's got to come through the blood. There is no other way. There is no other hope. And think about this. If there was another way for a man to be saved, would God not have done that? Why would he allow his only begotten son to suffer? for the brutality of the cross if there was another way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. But not only was Jesus saying, Father, if there be another way. He said, let this cup pass from me. It was not only reassuring himself that there was nothing else to do. Jesus was also thinking about the broken fellowship that was going to soon come between him and the Father. Because you see, the word says that there was one saying from the cross when Jesus said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? 
But Jesus not only knew he had to go through the agony of Calvary because there was no other way. He also knew that there was going to be broken fellowship with the Father. But he also knew that it was going to be broken fellowship between him and his disciples. They were going to desert him. He would experience abandonment from his closest friends, and that was a heavy burden on his heart. In fact, the scripture says this in Matthew 26, verse 56. Look at this carefully. I've got to speed up just a moment. In Matthew 26, verse 56, the Bible says this, that they all forsook him. Look at the word. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled, then all. Now, we find John at the cross, but he wasn't always at the cross. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. When they took Jesus out of Gethsemane, every single one of them went running. They would not, they could not watch an hour to pray with him in the garden. And now they would be scattered the very moment that the Lord Jesus needed them the most. But he warned them of this in Matthew 26, 31. The word says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Listen, they're running and they're humiliating him was something that really pricked the heart of Jesus. Because if you look in John 18, verse 19, get it on the screen quick, fellas. We're running out of time. But the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. This might be a scripture that you've looked at many times and you say, I do not know what this means. You see, the high priest wanted to know, first of all, how many disciples Jesus had. And then this gospel, the doctrine of the gospel that he was preaching, what was it about the gospel that Jesus was preaching that would make all of his disciples leave him? So with great curiosity, the high priest begins to question Jesus on this merit, on this basis. And then in verse 31, Matthew 26, the Bible says they all forsook him because they were offended at him. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. Maybe perhaps they felt unsafe to be in his presence. Maybe they were ashamed to be in his presence. But here's the bottom line. Only one out of the 12 came back. And when I think about that, only one returned. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you following close to the Lord or are you following afar off? Maybe there was a particular time in your life where you knew you were totally in love with Jesus. You loved his word. You'd love to hear his name. Songs ministered to your heart. Somebody could sing a song and you get a spiritual encouragement, a spiritual uplifting out of that. You love to go to his house. You love to praise his name. You love to fellowship with brothers and sisters. But then something happened. Something happened to sour that relationship with the Lord. Something happened to cause the light to become dim. Something happened to allow the heart that was warm to become cold. Something happened to allow a great distance where once there was a warmth and a refreshing. But let me give you the beautiful picture of the scripture today. John was there in that warm experience at one part. Then all of a sudden, 
his heart got afraid. All of a sudden, in a blink of an eye, something turned his passion. And when he looked to see everybody else run, he ran too. But the beauty of it is this. He came back. And I would say to anyone today that's drifting afar off, that's not as close to the Lord today as you have been in your life before, someone today that's not moved with the passion of the Holy Word of God, the Scriptures, somebody today that's not moved with with great encouragement to stay and serve the Lord. If you've drifted away and if you've gotten away, let me encourage you to do what John did. John came back. And when he came back, listen, he was received with a wonderful, wonderful Jesus. I want you to think about this. I would pray that this would be the day for the one that's drifting or following afar off. I would pray that this would be the day that the Holy Ghost would breathe conviction. And and as the prodigal returned, you can return as well. Number three, quickly, I want you to see an illustration of the Lord's prudence. And I've given you the definition of that in your bulletin today because prudence means the discipline of oneself or the exercise of good judgment. By the way, that's a prophecy fulfilled. I want you to see this in Isaiah 52, verse 13. I have just a few scriptures left, and I'm going to ask that you pay very close attention and that they would get these scriptures on the screen for you. You can read it. You've got it in the bulletin. You can reference it again at home. But the prudence that the Lord used and exercised on the cross was a prophecy fulfilled The prophet Isaiah spoke this in Isaiah 52, 750 years before Jesus went to the cross. The prophet Isaiah said these words, Isaiah 52, 13, behold, my servant shall deal, look at this, prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. So on the cross, Jesus exercised exceptional prudence. In John 19, 27, the word says, then saith he to the disciple, look at this, behold thy mother. And from that hour, Jesus took her, or that disciple took her unto his own home. One of the greatest concerns of life is to see, I believe, is to think about our loved ones and and how our, our parents and how concerned we need to be over them if they're still with us today. Jesus was the firstborn of Mary, which made him the person responsible to, to make sure that she was taken care of. Jesus knew this, that after his death, life was not going to be easy for Mary. And so Jesus used great, great wisdom, great prudence in selecting John for the task to take care of his mother. Listen, Jesus did not select James to take care of Mary or of his other brothers or of his other sisters. Because you see, James... As we've talked about him already, he did not even believe Jesus was the son of God. So while he was there, Jesus was there dying on the cross for the sins of the world. He wasn't going to put the responsibility on James to take care of his mother when James didn't even believe what was happening. This was something special that the Lord saw in John. He saw his heart. Look, he was not impressed with his skills as a fisherman. He was not impressed with his education. It was very simple. He did not get impressed with his wealth. Jesus was concerned with his heart. John, I'm not, I'm not giving my mother to the disciples. I'm not giving her to, to, to uh, my sisters. I'm giving her to you. Not as a group, I'm giving her 
to you. Disciple John, you will take care of mother. And the word of God said John greatly did that. The last thing that I want you to see here, and I want our musicians to come forward, is this. All of us have a universal need to be saved. There's not one person on the planet going to heaven because they're good. There's not one person going because of good deeds and reaching out to the poor and being a good Samaritan and going the second mile, trying to live a good life, a peaceful life, a happy life. Listen, all of that's noble, but that will not get anybody into heaven. We see the universal need. And the Mary of Scripture, let me emphasize this, is quite different than the Mary of superstition. I know that there are hundreds of millions of people praying to Mary every day. But listen, the Bible does not say that Mary is blessed above women. She's blessed among women. That's significant. We have to remember that Mary was a member of the fallen race just like you and I. She was a sinner by nature, just like you and I. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as she stood by the cross, Jesus was dying for Mary, just like he was dying for me and you. And this is a perfect picture of what the Bible says, For all have sinned. Now, listen, the cross paralyzed her, there's no doubt. With all the memory, comprised with all of the pain, put all that together and put Jesus on the cross with her inability to do anything for him. There's no doubt in my mind because it's a mother's nature to be paralyzed for a moment with all of these problems and circumstances. Her world was turned completely upside down. But listen to this. Her disappointment and her feelings and her grief and her sorrows did not stop her. The grief that she was having in her heart because this was her firstborn son. He was being brutalized. He was being killed. He was being subjected to all of the horrors of imagination. There's no doubt in my mind. The word says she didn't say a word. Doesn't record anything she said. I, I believe she stood there paralyzed, weeping, maybe until she couldn't shed another tear, physically drained, overwhelmed. Maybe John is holding her up. I can see the sisters embracing her. Maybe only the quivering body of Mary has taken place and she's shaking with almost near convulsion. But her example is this. In spite of it all, she was there. Where was Peter? Where was Thomas? Where was Andrew? Mary, I believe she's, and this is the example, this is the picture, is she's staying, staying close to the cross and doing every barbaric deed that was thrown upon his son. Look at this in Acts 14, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. I close with the scripture. The Bible says that after the crucifixion was over with, the disciples, when they came back, they all, look at this, they all continued 
with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Even though Mary was overwhelmed with grief, it did not stop her. She kept on serving. You say, preacher, that's easier said than done. I'm sure. I'm sure. There have been times in my spirit that I have been grieved when I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know what to pray. There have been times that I've been so broken and grieved in spirit, I've asked others to come pray for me. But I will tell you this, so far, I've always been able to say, I'll go with you through the garden. I'll go with you all the way. Don't set yourself up for a devastation because Peter did too. I'm saying this, that there have been times in my life when I just felt like I completely failed the Lord. But I'm able to stand here today in this pulpit and preach the gospel because I declare unto you, though I fail the Lord, he has never failed me. He has never failed me. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.